Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Good morning and welcome to the Lakers Lowdown. I'm Anthony Irwin. Today on the show. That's right. We are talking Austin Reeves. We are talking the Lakers being up game one to zero. They got home court advantage in this series. Anthony Davis was a monster defensively. Rui Hachimura was insane. A lot, a lot to get to in this one. Let's get to it. I think we have to start with Austin Reeves, though. He was absolutely incredible down the stretch of that game. Uh, Single-handedly did a whole bunch of stuff that, you know, we'd seen flashes of it over the course of the season, and we've seen hints that he was capable of those things. You know, again, at, at various points, in the regular season, in some big spots too, right? Like Raj and I talked about it. He remembered the Utah game where Reeves just kind of knocked down big shot after big shot and was given the ball basically to run, pick, and roll to end that game, to ice that game. He's, <laughs> I cannot stress how out of the ordinary this is. This is a undrafted second-year player appearing in his first playoff game He's played in play-in games, but but this is his first uh, playoff game. Actually, he's appeared in one play-in game. Wasn't exactly good in the other one either. This is his first playoff game on the road with LeBron James on the court, with D'Angelo Russell on the court, with Anthony Davis on the court. And they all kind of gave him the ball, set some screens for him, and let him go to work. That is unbelievable we just you don't see stuff like that happen very often especially on LeBron teams LeBron handles the ball down the stretch of the game LeBron is the guy who other guys set screens for and and let him put them in positions to succeed like this is just you don't see this uh and and yet as it was going on it was play after play after play Right decision after right decision after right decision. Huge shot after huge shot after huge shot. I was sitting there watching this with my father-in-law, and um, he joked because he hasn't watched the Lakers really much this year, and Austin, you know, made that three, and they went to his mic'd up moment, right? And he goes to flex, and Roger goes like, is he flexing? Like, what's happening there? Like, nothing's happening to his arms. And, and yeah, like, this guy looks like this unassuming dude who would be, like, a protagonist's best friend in a CW show about the country. 
Like he's just this 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 guy who walks into a gym and immediately starts running stuff because yeah, he's that good. And nobody would you know nobody would expect it, but he's that good. Memphis, you know, they they uh, threw different types of coverage at him, and for the most part, you know, shaded off of him because shading off of him meant giving some extra support for uh, LeBron and AD on, on potential role in other spots. But, yeah, he just took advantage of it, read the defense, and, and, and made the simple play and, and came up with huge bucket after huge bucket down the stretch of this game. And, you know, <laughs> we're watching this. I'm watching this, and I'm kind of, like, cackling there because this is unbelievable. Like, it's, it's unbelievable for a second-year player to be handling that moment, a second-year undrafted player to be handling that moment in that way. And, and, and yet, like, if it happens again, you know, I, I can't help but be shocked again if it happens because, like, yeah, he, he made it look relatively easy. And, yeah, he got good looks. And, and, yeah, he was able to create some separation for himself based on the gravitational pull that LeBron and AD um, had. But it was still him making those shots, and it was still him that the Lakers were entrusting to make those right decisions. It was just insane. An absolutely insane performance that, you know, now he has that in his back pocket. The thing that made me nervous after watching him play in that Minnesota game, uh, in the play-in game, was, oh, shit. Like, that moment looked looked kind of big for him his eyes got pretty big out there and now he can kind of look back on this and he can say oh i've done it before all right let's just do it again elsewhere in this one uh rui hachimura you know look we i i know i started the show with austin reeves and it was because he ended the game essentially with his decision making and how he handled uh the fourth quarter but reeves doesn't get that opportunity doesn't get to do those things if not for Rui Hachimura. Rui finished the game uh, with 29 points, his like his career high, I believe, uh, certainly playoff career high, uh, 11 of 14 from the field, which is insane, 5 of 6 from three-point range, which is somehow more insane, six boards, an assist, a plus 12 on the night, was just absolutely huge. You know, the Lakers, um, you know, it's one thing, it's one thing to go five of six with kind of empty calorie threes, but the threes that Rui were hitting because of the opportunities presented to him by way of the way Memphis was guarding LeBron and the way they were guarding AD and the way that they were shutting off any, you know, lanes to the paint, uh, the, the shots that Rui was presented with, all of them felt huge. And they all came at big moments where it could be a six-point game. And if Rui doesn't make that one and Memphis goes down and hits a three, of their own, you're looking at a nine-point game, but instead it would be a three-point game, or you know, to 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 retake the lead, or whatever it was. A lot, all of Rui's threes were monstrous, and you know, the offense rightly will get all of the attention here, most of the attention here, um, because he was just that good. It wasn't also just three-point shooting too; it was offensive rebounding. It was. Uh, a couple plays in isolation that you know he made because Memphis was guarding him with smaller guys, and he you know just kind of took them into the pinch post and went to work. But defensively, also, you know, being able to move his feet and 
get physical out there and, you know, group box out. There were a few occasions also offensively on the boards where he was working so hard that Memphis had no choice really but to foul him uh, as they tried to stop him from getting an offensive rebound. One of the bigger plays of the night, honestly, was on was on such occasion where AD shot like a fallaway shot from kind of sort of behind the basket on the baseline. Uh, Rui was there under the basket. He would have gotten the uh, offensive rebound and potentially a putback, but he winds up getting fouled with two seconds left on the shot clock. That creates another opportunity for the Lakers that they would eventually score on. And, you know, those kinds of plays uh, are absolutely huge. I don't even think that really shows up in the box score unless, uh, no, because they called the foul before he got his offensive rebound there. Yeah, that's just that's just a foul created that would otherwise kind of go unnoticed, but absolutely had a role in in the Lakers winning this one. Um, the yeah, I, I wrote about this for Substack. I've been saying it here for a little while, and I'm not alone, obviously, in saying it. But uh, I've always thought that Rui's game, you know, especially with him making the strides or taking the strides that he has on defense, really fit well in. Uh, the playoff atmosphere, right? That physicality, that uh, switchability, the the ability to go out and get his own shot in the mid-range, like that kind of stuff. Obviously, over the course of the regular season, where the focus is more on peak efficiency and all of those things, and uh, there isn't much game planning from uh, night to night, but, you know, and, and, and with the way that the game is refereed, you know, smaller players tend to be a little bit more valuable in the regular season. But when you get to the postseason, uh, that size, especially mobile size, athletic size, is is actually hugely valuable. And, uh, you know, with, with, with Rui, especially as he started really finding his role, uh, I really thought heading into the postseason that he should be one of the first guys off of the bench and, and that is actually how it went down today. He was the first guy off the bench. Um, it signaled to me that Darvin Ham... Now, Ham did wind up playing Beasley, and he did wind up playing Brown. I think eventually we're going to see one of those two guys out of the rotation. But Ham starting his bench rotation with Rui was kind of a statement, I felt like, you know, that, yeah, we're, we're going to go big. And Memphis, you can't really match up with us if we go big and, you know, maybe you could try to counter with, you know, skill and shooting and stuff like that. But, um, that physicality, you know, it makes, it makes everybody uncomfortable out there. Uh, and, and Rui looked very comfortable in that kind of environment. That is huge. Uh, I, I've, I've, you know, the, the Rui experience, you know, kind of started slow I think there were some some habits there that needed to be kind of broken, the bad habits that needed to be broken and forgotten, and then there there were some you know good habits that have been that have replaced those bad habits, especially defensively, and that makes it so that you know he's just kind of a generally more uh, effective and impactful player out there, even if the shot isn't going in, and then if or when the shot is is going in, then then he's you know, your, your legitimate three and D wing, which as you guys have been hearing me say for years now is the most effective and impactful role player that a team can have getting him for Kendrick Nunn 
and three second rounders or whatever it was, uh, and not having to give up a, a first rounder for him, that's a lottery talent that the Lakers have able to turn have been able to turn into a real legitimate impact player here. That is a monster development for the Lakers of floor and ceiling, quite frankly. Uh, they don't win this game without Rui. They uh, certainly don't give Reeves the opportunity to do what he did uh, without the way that Rui played. And and yeah, like there are. Do I anticipate him going five of six from three point range from here on out? No. Would it would it surprise me at all if he goes zero for three or zero for four in the next game? Not even a little bit. He's not that kind of a shooter. If he was, the Lakers wouldn't have been able to get him for what they got him for, right? Um, but the nice thing about his steps forward on defense is the shot might come and go, but that defense is going to travel. That defense, uh, game in, game out, is something that he should be able to bring to the table. That physicality uh, is is something that Memphis is going to have to try to find a way to deal with and they don't have the bench guys to to deal with that kind of stuff, it, given their injury situation. So, you know, shouts to Rui, uh, absolute monster game here. That, yeah, I, I, <laughs> I hope the Lakers can can afford to keep him here this offseason. Anthony Davis uh, was tremendous. Anthony Davis finishes the game twenty two points, uh, twelve boards, four of them offensive, seven block shots. Three steals, three assists, 10 of, seven, 10 of 17 from the floor, two of two, only two of two from the from the free throw line. If I had any kind of mild criticisms, it would be that I need him to get to the free throw line more so that Jaron Jackson Jr. can't have the game that he did. But look, the way that AD played defense yesterday, that just omnipresent threat in the paint to swallow up everything that the opposing team is trying to do offensively, like there is maybe two or three people on the, on the face of the planet who can do what AD does on that side of the court, man, there might only be maybe 10 people in the history of the planet who can do what AD can do defensively. And that might be, (laughs) That 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 is that that's not a conservative count either. Like that's what AD is doing on defense when he's that kind of energized and that kind of focused and that kind of engaged is is just insane. The seven blocks obviously should get all of the attention or most of the attention, but how many shots did Memphis take that you know looked rushed? How many shots weren't taken in spots that needed to be taken? Uh, did, that did, did Memphis pass up on, um, how many, you know, passes had, you know, you look like there was kind of a glimmer, glimmer of a hole there that a, a pass could be squeezed through, but got swallowed up immediately when, when AD is defending the way that he does in Darvin Ham's system, where he basically just has AD, you know, absolutely imploding the paint and making it so that offenses can't run anything through there. It's he's just he's the most impactful defender that exists in the league right now, and one of the most impactful defenders I have ever seen, bar none, maybe the most. You know, it's 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 him and like four or five other guys in that class, and he played that way tonight. And and yeah, like the offense, I would like to see him get more free throws. 
um, still finished with 22 points. So it wasn't like a, a terrible game, but you know, defensively just a, an absolutely masterful effort that, you know, was, we, I know we suck at contextualizing defense and, and understanding defense as it happens, but this is the kind of performance that cannot go ignored. And, and if he plays like that, um, uh, you know, let alone for this series, but moving forward, then I really don't know. Uh, the, 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 I really don't know how not to be too optimistic about what the Lakers are capable of doing. Cause if the, that is, that is defensive player of the year. That is, you know, MVP candidate because of what he can do defensively. Good. What what we saw from AD last night. And yeah, Jaron Jackson Jr. had a great game of his own. He scored 31 points on only 21 uh, field goal attempts. But you look at the game that John Moran had, 18 points, a pretty quiet 18 points. Jared Vanderbilt deserves some credit for that too. But John Moran does a lot of his work in the paint, man. And there is not a lot of work to be done in the paint when AD is defending the way that he did. Again, like it was one of those cool games that one thing lent to another that presented an opportunity that presented another opportunity. And you had this kind of domino effect of, of things that made it so that this road playoff win is possible. And that's kind of how road playoff games tend to go. But AD, you know, we talk about Rui and his performance allowing for Austin Reeves to do his thing, but AD defending the way that he did from start to finish in this one, that is, 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 absolutely vital to anything that the Lakers are going to try to do here. It's a tough matchup for Memphis to try to deal with him offensively, but given what he takes away defensively, he might actually be a worse matchup defensively because of what he can do on the defensive side of the ball than he is offensively for Memphis, especially given the way he played last night. Holy shit. Kind of a weird game here from LeBron, 21 points, 11 rebounds. Uh, he had, you know, his five assists, five turnovers, which was uh, a lot, and and some weird spots that those turnovers came in, weird ways that they looked at. He looked kind of tired in some spots, but then he also looked incredible on some chase down blocks. Um, was essentially like a 3 and D wing down the stretch of this one because of the way that the Lakers were running their offense uh, through Austin Reeves. Um, essentially what it looks to me like is Dylan Brooks is obviously, uh, Memphis's best perimeter defender, and they are going to use him on LeBron to make sure that LeBron doesn't get going. And that opens up the court for everybody else. And, uh, you know, if, if LeBron is capable of, of kind of molding his game into working off of the ball and setting screens and doing some cutting and, and then also, you know, utilizing the extra energy that he isn't uh, putting into the game offensively into what he can do on defense, then that is kind of the counter there that makes Dylan Brooks's approach, you know, kind of moot and forces Memphis to maybe use him on a different player. But it's not like they're going to move Dylan Brooks off of LeBron to guard Austin Reeves. That just sounds nonsensical. It's crazy. But that might actually be what they have to do given the way that Austin took it to him down the stretch of that fourth quarter. Uh, this is all good stuff for the Lakers, that it forces Memphis to have to think about these things 
Um, yeah, kind of a quiet night, kind of a weird game from LeBron. But when you when you think about what his presence on the court does to Memphis and the effort that it takes from them to make sure he doesn't get going, that means it's that much easier for guys like Reeves and Rui and, and D'Angelo Russell to play the way that they did. So at some point, Memphis might have to rethink this approach uh, especially if those other guys start, you know, keep playing the way that they did yesterday, um, and if they do, you know, I, I I don't really know what can be done there because it's like, oh, you're gonna take your best player off of LeBron? That seems crazy. All right, gonna quickly answer uh, the, the the mailbag questions that are in the iTunes mailbag. So if uh, again, just a quick reminder, if you want a subject definitely covered um, on this show. The best way to get that subject covered is to write a five-star review on iTunes and get that question in there. Let's go ahead and, and, and dive into these uh, from from, uh, from from over the weekend. So Keenan Mama writes, uh, podcast is incredible. Thank you. Anthony is the ultimate pessimist, but he does a great job bringing on guests that level the show out. I'll take it. The banter between him and his guests uh, speaks to the relationships he's built over the years of hard work in the industry and creates a fun atmosphere that allows me to take a mental break from my own day-to-day. Literally, like that's the tagline of what I try to do. So thank you. Questions. Um, what do you think happens with Dennis's, with Dennis? Uh, mid-level exception, veteran minimum raise. I think he'd get more elsewhere, but he hasn't been on the same away, away from uh, the Lakers. Uh, we often say LeBron floats through games, mainly referring to a defensive effort to avoid injury but we'll turn it on in the playoffs. After the playing game, are we using float as an excuse for father time catching up? All right, so those are two really good questions. I discussed Dennis last week um, in the episode uh, about, you know, kind of the guys that the Lakers have decisions on and who also have decisions of their own. Dennis is tough, man. I I think he probably gets more than the veterans minimum, but as as... Keenan points out here, the the Lakers have presented a unique opportunity where he looks better in the Lakers system than he has elsewhere. Um, he is still very much a, you know, put stuff on the table, take stuff off the table type of player. And at this stage of his career, it's not like people look at him as, as a project that they would hope would, you know, kind of overproduce to the extent that you know overpaying him is is worthwhile but look man the Lakers uh wouldn't be where they are without him and the Lakers are a very public team so if he keeps playing here and 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 he keeps uh you know impacting winning basketball on a Lakers team that exceeds expectations those types of players uh who get you know 25 to 30 minutes a night or 22 to 25 minutes a night on a on a good Lakers team, those guys those guys tend to get overpaid somewhere else. So I, I could see him getting you know mid level money. Um, if not, then I'm sure the Lakers would love to have him back at you know the veteran minimum uh, raise that he would get this offseason. Now, as far as LeBron goes, um, I I think. Father Time has kind of caught up. That foot thing, I don't think it ever really fully healed. It was one of those injuries that I think you just kind of always have to deal with. 
And there are some times where that foot injury just makes you look old. I have bad feet myself. And I remember when I was younger and I started having these foot problems um, and I was still like relatively in shape compared to where I am right now. And I remember going out to the gym and, and these, you know, my feet would just make me move a good three, four years, um, look like I, I, I looked like I was three, four years older than I was back when my foot problems started, started kind of popping up and, yeah, I mean, the, the, your feet are the foundation of everything else that you do, and it can really erode away a lot of your athleticism. Sure, on occasion, you can kind of, uh, you know, get the, get the juices pumping to a point where you can move the way that you normally do for like a flash here and there. But, you know, more often than not, you are going to look kind of diminished. And that's kind of what I see at times with LeBron. Um, and, 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 you know, like Dylan Brooks, he's a good defender, but he's the kind of guy that LeBron in his prime, you know, even three, four years ago would have chewed up and spit out, you know, in some way or another, whether it was taking him down into the post or, you know, turning the corner or whatever, um, getting downhill in some way. Like there was almost nothing that stopped LeBron from getting downhill for the vast majority of the time that we've watched him play. And now it, it really takes, it's going to take some X's and O's schematics, I think, to help LeBron get downhill more than we saw him in, in game one and more than we saw him in Minnesota. All of the turnovers and stuff that he has, you know, again, it, it kind of points to his mind is, is, is getting ready to, is telling him, hey, do this, do this, do this, do this. But his body, I think, on, on some occasions here is kind of saying like, hold up. We're, we're, <laughs> that sounds like fun, but it's probably not happening this time. So, um, yeah, me, I, I, I do think that he is such a smart player that he'll be able to play through this as he kind of recognizes these new physical boundaries that he has. But for right now, yeah, there, there are going to be some moments where you're like, oof, man, I hope he's floating. Otherwise, ooh. All right, F. Golden writes, uh, while Bill McDonald will throw some Chick references into his calls, I know John Ireland has refrained from doing this. Chick had so many great sayings, including the game being in the refrigerator, and I feel like there is a sentiment that it would be irreverent or cheesy to try and pray, uh, pay uh, homage to... Homage? Homage? I don't know. Uh, to, to these by repeating them in broadcast. But the shame in that is that anyone under the age of 30 won't ever get to hear these sayings that other than a hung jersey in the arena. Young fans may not even know who he is. Wouldn't you be in favor of Lakers broadcast playing a clip of Chick, say, putting a game in the refrigerator when it looks like the Lakers will win so younger fans can learn about Chick and not be forgotten by future fandom? Man, that's a great question. Holy crap. Um, all right, so on one hand, I get it. Like I actually talked to John Island back when I was at Locked On about this and about filling or trying to fill Chick Hearn's shoes. Um, the, the reason we were talking about it was because that was around the time that Joe Davis was taking over for Vince Scully. And um, I kind of asked him, hey, how would you handle this? And he, having been there before, and he did kind of say he spoke exactly to, explicitly to, the stuff that you're talking about here, uh, about like not wanting to sound cheesy or 
or there is just no way that I can do that in a way that does him any kind of justice. And I tend to agree, honestly. And, and, and look, like I have never done, like I've done playback and I've done pressure cookers and I don't even try to do, uh, I don't even try to do play by play because that is just not something I'm very good at. I, I, I did no training whatsoever on this. So I, on this, I tend to kind of lean on the instincts that others have here. Um, that said, absolutely right. It does suck that, you know, man, I, I don't even know what the line there would be as far as like keeping younger fans informed on, on who that jersey represents up there with the microphone on it. Um, he was so important to the legacy and the identity of the Los Angeles Lakers that I hope there's some way to, like right now, I think they have like Chick Hearn Knight or something like that. And, you know, maybe do that more regularly or or maybe they should get some kind of sponsorship from like Whirlpool or whatever uh, refrigerator maker they could say like, all right, you know, this good, this is going in the Samsung refrigerator, you know, brought to you by da, 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 um, to, to try to, to try to do it justice. But even there, it would, it would still come across as tacky. I think, I think the biggest thing, and you know, I've talked to Pete about this a lot, cause obviously he does a lot of work with Lakers social and, you know, they've done like the, the 75 year anniversary and, and all of that stuff. And they've really focused on the past of the Lakers. And and I do really kind of uh, think that this is an effort that's going to have to come from the Lakers to keep Chick more forefront in our minds um, as, as the Lakers organization ages and as younger people are, are brought into the fold as, as Lakers fans. All right, last question here comes from Cyril uh, Fonrose. Fonrose? Uh, do you think Darwin is making a huge mistake by not playing Lonnie Walker? Is it just me or every time they finally put him in, he hits threes, he drives to the basket uh, and scores? Uh, or does the jump shot or, or come in, came it as well? So, um, I look, I've talked about Lonnie Walker's season. It's It's been kind of a bummer uh, to watch him go from kind of rare darling or from earlier in the year to where he is now, where he's just like not a part of the rotation. I don't think it's a, I don't think it's a mistake to not play him. There just aren't minutes there. And you know, the, the, the Lakers really, um, you know, they're really going to lean heavily on Rui's size and Vanderbilt's size. And I think Troy Brown jr. Probably gets the nod over Beasley because he's a little bit longer and, and defends more consistently. So, you know, I, it, it sucks. Uh, I, I personally really enjoyed watching Lonnie play. He's also, you know, a, a, a friend of the show having come on before. Um, great kid seems like all of that stuff, but I just don't see the minutes there right now. All right. That is going to do it here for this episode of the Lakers lowdown podcast. Again, the Lakers win 128 to 112 in Memphis to take a game one, uh, to take game one away and have a one game to zero lead in the series. They get home court as a result of this. Um, we have to, I'm, I'm still waiting. I'm sure we'll probably get more information on John Morant maybe tomorrow um, as any kind of swelling kind of subsides or whatever. I will say that, you know, the, the fall itself looked pretty bad 
considering he had some heat that hand was kind of banged up as he uh, before he even started that was wrapped up throughout the game before he fell and um, I know there was a lot of discussion about charges and stuff I agree I I, I really think that the way that uh, charges have really kind of taken over defenses is is kind of too bad I don't they're a very dangerous play that doesn't feel like basketball and then um yeah, I, I I would imagine we're gonna get more information on Jaw. If we get it tonight, then maybe I'll 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 add that little bit of context into the show. Um, but if not, I'll talk about it tomorrow on the lowdown and as part of the conversation that we have with tomorrow's guest too. So um check that out. If you haven't already, check out the show that is already live. Uh, I just went ahead and published that one, that conversation with me and Raj. So you're going to want to check that as well. And until tomorrow, I'm Anthony Irwin saying, good Lord, Austin Reeves, you are the man. You and Rui. Rui Eves. <laughs>